Chapters eleven and twelve of the Curved Blades by Carolyn Wells. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Eleven, Fleming Stone. Yes, I have often heard the idea expressed that the more bizarre the clues appear, the easier the solution of the mystery, and this is frequently true. Fleming Stone looked from one to another of the interested group of listeners. They sat in the library pauline anita gray haviland and the young detective hardy haviland had carried out his plan of cabling carrington loria for authority to employ mr stone and had received a reply to use his own judgment in all such matters and charge the expense to loria's account pauline had been opposed to the idea of calling fleming stone to the case but as she seemed unable to put forth any valid objections haviland had insisted until she gave her consent so arrangements had been quickly made and the great detective had reached garden steps on wednesday afternoon just a week after the discovery of the murder previously unacquainted with stone the whole household was interested in his personality and this preliminary conversation was by way of introduction a man of nearly fifty fleming stone was tall and well proportioned with a carriage and bearing that gave an impression of strength his clear-cut face and firm jaw gave the same character indications as are seen in portraits of lincoln but his features were far more harmonious than those of our rugged-faced president stone's hair thick and dark was slightly grayed at the temples and his deep-set eyes were now lustrous and again shadowed like the water of a dark pool his lean jaw and forceful mouth made his face in repose somewhat stern but this effect was often banished by his delightful smile which softened his whole countenance and gave him a distinct air of friendliness his manner was full of charm and even pauline became fascinated as she watched him and listened to his talk fully at ease and skilfully directing the conversation while he seemed merely sharing it stone was studying and classifying the new elements with which he had to deal not yet had he inquired as to the details of the case in hand he was discussing detective work in general much to the gratification of tom hardy who listened as a pupil at the feet of gamaliel yes went on stone settling back sociably in his easy-chair while the others unconsciously fell into more informal postures yes bizarre effects do often point the way to a successful quest why once a man was found dead with his feet in a tub of cold water it was discovered that his feet had been immersed after death had taken place obviously the tub of water had been used as a blind to fog up the case but the very character of the clue led at once to a man who was known as a cold-water fiend and a fiend indeed he was he was the murderer you see he was clever but not clever enough he had wit enough to think of the queer circumstance of the tub of water but not enough to realize that the clue would lead directly to his own undoing everybody looked thoughtful but it was hardy who spoke yes mr stone he said but that clue was put there on purpose do you think these strange effects connected with miss carrington's murder were deliberately arranged that i can't tell now mr hardy in fact i have not heard a connected and circumstantial account of the discoveries as yet suppose we go over the case leisurely and let me get a complete account by means of a general conversation i will ask questions or you may volunteer information as seems most enlightening tell me first of the character and characteristics of miss carrington was she timid or fearful of burglars not at all said haviland 
she was careful to have the house locked up at night by the servants but she had no burglar alarms or anything of that sort if a marauder had appeared would she have been likely to scream out in affright no i don't think so volunteered anita she would more likely demand to know what he wanted and order him out yet the blackjack clearly indicates a burglar went on stone i can't imagine an ordinary citizen of any calling owning or using such a weapon have you examined the thing asked haviland no i should like to see it tom hardy at once produced it having brought it with him from police headquarters for the purpose hm said fleming stone as he fingered the not very alarming-looking affair in fact it was merely a long narrow bag made of dark cloth and filled with shot the bag was tied tightly at one end with a bit of twine to prevent the escape of the contents home-made affair stone went on made probably by a professional burglar but an amateur murderer see it is merely a bit of heavy cloth out from an old coat-sleeve or trouser-leg sewed up in a bungling manner to make a bag it is stitched with coarse black thread and the stitches are drawn hard and firm evidently pulled through by a strong hand then filled with shot it is tied with a bit of old fish-line which also is pulled and knotted by muscular fingers and stone paused abruptly and prompted anita breathlessly her eyes fixed on the speaker nothing much and stone smiled only i should say the burglar lived in a house recently remodelled hardy nodded in satisfaction this was the sort of deduction he was looking for next he hoped for the colour of the man's hair and the sort of cigar he smoked but he was doomed to disappointment we seem to have drifted from the subject of miss carrington stone said the evening before her death was she in her usual spirits evidently no premonition of her fate on the contrary said gray she remarked during the evening that something would happen to her that night which would surprise and astound us all she said distinctly that to-morrow everything would be different what did you understand her to mean by that we couldn't understand it at all it was most mysterious nor do we yet know what she meant for surely she had no thought of dying she spent the evening playing cards and listening to music and conversation with the family and guests quite as usual in amiable mood asked stone no replied pauline taking up the talk on the contrary she was exceedingly irritable and ill-tempered you saw her after she went to her room for the night and stone turned his whole attention to pauline yes miss frayne and i always went to her room with her to say good-night and to receive possible orders or suggestions for the next day's occupations and you say she was unamiable that is a mild word and pauline smiled a little she was in a high temper and she told us both that we were to leave this house the next day you both left her in that mood yes we were obliged to do so she dismissed us peremptorily and ordered us from the room and you saw her next miss stuart when asked fleming stone gently pauline hesitated for a perceptible instant then she said with a slight air of bravado next morning i have been told the main facts went on stone but i want to learn certain details please tell me miss stuart exactly how she then appeared oh i can't and pauline flung her face into her hands with a short sharp cry i should think you couldn't exclaimed anita and her voice was distinctly accusing 
this seemed to rouse pauline and she looked up haughtily at the speaker i don't wonder you think so she cried but since you ask mr stone i will do the best i can my aunt was seated at her dressing-table but not in her usual chair or indeed as if she were in any way attending to her toilette but in an easy-chair more as if she were sitting there in contemplation was she given to such indications of vanity asked stone in a gentle way not at all my aunt was not a beautiful woman and she had no illusions about her personal appearance i have never known her to look at herself in a mirror more than was necessary for her dressing her maid will tell you this go on please miss stuart when i saw my aunt she was sitting placidly even smilingly and i did not for a moment imagine she was not alive then i noticed her large tortoise-shell comb was broken to bits and i noticed too her rigid staring face the next few moments are a confused memory to me but i know i touched her hand and felt it cold then i called to mr haviland and he came tell me of your aunt's garb i understand it was most unusual only in the accessories the gown she had on was a negligee of oriental make and fabric elaborate but one of which she was fond and which she had worn several times round her shoulders was a scarf one of those heavy syrian ones of net patterned with silver then she had on quantities of jewellery not only her pearls and a few pins which she had worn during the evening but she had added many brooches and bracelets and rings of great value she was wearing let us say a hundred thousand dollars worth of jewellery far more than that her pearls alone are worth that amount her diamond sunburst is valued at fifty thousand dollars and her emerald brooch is equally valuable my aunt believed in gems as an investment and though she usually kept them in a safe deposit vault she had recently taken them from there and had them all in the house a strange proceeding very i have never known such a thing to occur before unless for some especial social occasion and the paper snake of which i have been told that is the strangest part of all my aunt was not only afraid of live snakes but she also had a perfect horror of any picture or artificial representation of them she could never in her right mind have placed that paper snake about her own neck nor would she have allowed any one else to do it without screaming out in horror yet the doctors declare it must have been placed round her neck before death therefore it is to me entirely unexplainable is not that a bizarre clue that should make the case an easy one asked anita with an inquiring glance at stone it may be so he replied with a thoughtful look at her where could such a snake have come from it was brought by the burglar of course said pauline quickly i don't mean that but where could it be bought oh at vantine's or any japanese shop said pauline or at some of the department stores could you by inquiry find out if miss carrington purchased it herself at any of those places i could inquire but i am sure mr stone that aunt lucy never bought such a thing it would simplify matters somewhat if you would kindly find out and stone nodded at her as if to stamp this suggestion a definite request the conversation went on and no one noticed that so deftly did fleming stone guide it that only facts were brought out no sooner did any one begin to formulate an opinion or theory than he skilfully turned the subject or changed the drift of the discussion he gathered from facial expressions and manners much that he wanted to know 
he learned the attitudes of the various members of the household toward each other and he came to the conclusion that as gray haviland had engaged him and as he stood as business head of the estate by authority of carrington loria to haviland should his reports be made tell me more of mr loria stone said at last after many matters had been discussed he and i are children of miss carrington's two sisters said pauline our parents all died when we were young children and aunt lucy brought us both up carr as we call him lived with us except for his college terms until four years ago then he had an opportunity to go to egypt and engage in excavation and ancient research work he is absorbed in it and has been home only twice in the four years it was planned that my aunt and i should go to egypt next month on a pleasure trip and both he and we looked forward eagerly to it miss frayne was to accompany us and mr haviland too is it your intention to abandon the trip speaking for myself mr stone no and pauline looked determined i cannot answer for the others but it seems to me that such a visit to my cousin would be not only right and proper for me but the only way for me to find relief and distraction from these dreadful scenes you won't go i assume said stone gently until the murderer of your aunt is apprehended with certainty i cannot say and suddenly pauline flushed rosily and looked distinctly embarrassed rather not declared anita with an unpleasant glance and fleming stone made haste to introduce a new phase of the subject twelve estelle's story at the invitation of haviland fleming stone was a house-guest at garden steps pauline had raised objections to this but with carloria's authority back of him gray had insisted and pauline unwillingly consented stone himself recognized the fact that pauline disliked him or at any rate disliked having him on the case but he ignored it and showed to her the same gracious manner and pleasant attitude that he showed to all anita on the other hand seemed charmed with stone she lost no opportunity to talk with him and she used every endeavor to attract his attention to herself in fact she tried to flirt with him and much to the surprise of the others stone seemed ready to meet her advances and respond to them the morning after his arrival breakfast over stone announced his intention of making a thorough examination of miss carrington's rooms and asked that he be permitted to go alone for the purpose if mr hardy comes send him up he ordered as haviland unlocked the door to give him admittance stone passed through the boudoir to the bedroom and from that to the elaborate dressing-room and bath quickly he noted the obvious details everything had been left practically untouched and his rapid trained gaze took in the bed turned down but not slept in the toilet accessories laid ready in the bathroom and the fresh unused towels that proved the unfortunate victim had not prepared to retire but had for some reason donned her jewels at that unusual hour back to the boudoir stone went and made there more careful scrutiny carefully he examined the white dust of powder on the floor at hardy's orders this had not been swept away and stone stood with folded arms looking at it he saw the place where the powder had been smeared about he had been told of this but he saw other places where faint footprints were to his keen eye discernible not sufficiently clear to judge much of their characteristics but enough to show that a stockinged foot had imprinted them well what do you make of the tracks asked hardy coming in upon his meditations their tale is a short one but clear returned stone smiling a greeting to the younger detective as you see they go out of the room only they don't come in proving 
that the intruder came in at the door accomplished his dreadful purpose and then stepped around here in front of his victim here where the powder is spilt and then went straight out of the room why did he do this he heard something to frighten him off he saw something that frightened him i doubt if he heard anything but he dropped his blackjack and fled did you bring the photographs of the scene yes here they are hardy handed over a sheaf of the gruesome pictures and stone scanned them eagerly yet their gruesomeness lay largely in the idea that the subject of them was not a living person for in appearance they were by no means unpleasant to look at the face of miss carrington was serene and smiling her wide-open eyes though staring were filled with a lifelike wonder not at all an expression of fright or terror you see volunteered hardy she was sitting there admiring herself and happily smiling when the villain sneaked up behind her and gave her that crack over the head but she was already dead when she was hit on the head so the doctors think but i believe they're mistaken why there's no theory that would account for hitting a dead person and yet that is what happened no hardy the doctors are not mistaken about the hour of death and about the poison in her system and all that but the most obvious and most important clue for the moment is that blackjack just where was it found right here mr stone under the edge of this couch hidden on purpose of course no i think not dropped by the burglar rather when he was startled by something unexpected you see he doubtless stood here where the powder is dusted about and to drop the thing quickly it would fall or be flung just there where it was found yes but what scared him if he didn't hear anything something that frightened him so terribly that he fled without taking the jewels he had come for something that made him make quick straight tracks for the door and downstairs and out by the way he had entered good lord say mr stone you think it was that make-believe count don't you why make-believe oh somehow i feel sure he's a fake he's not the real thing or i'm greatly mistaken let me see that glove found in her hand have you it with you hardy had brought some of the exhibits held by the police and taking the glove from his bag he handed it to fleming stone stone looked at the glove hastily but raising it to his nose smelled of it very carefully no he said returning it no the count is not the man who wielded the blackjack i'm fairly certain of that well i'm blessed if i can see how you know by smelling by the way mr stone i suppose you heard all about the conversation that miss frayne related as taking place in this room after one o'clock that night yes i've read the full account of it what do you think about it oh i think it was the count talking to miss carrington before he killed her he has a very low voice and speaks almost inaudibly always then you see he is down in her will for ten thousand dollars of those bonds and he's very fond of pearls what's that who said he was fond of pearls oh maybe you didn't hear about that why miss frayne remembered afterward that another sentence she heard miss carrington say was i know how very fond you are of pearls she forgot that speech in her evidence but found it afterward in the written account she had of what she overheard at the door and his countship is fond of pearls he talked a lot about those the lady wore that last evening he says himself pearls are a hobby with him so you really think the count was in this room that night surely i do 
it's no insult to the lady's memory to say so she had a right to receive him in her boudoir if she chose to do so it's no secret that she was trying to annex him and he was not entirely unwilling you see the way i dope it out she had him up here to show off her stunning jewels and so tempt him on to a declaration that she couldn't seem to work him up to otherwise you know she said to-morrow these may all be yours if you will only or some words to that effect what could all that mean except as i've indicated and she said you are the game i'm after those weren't the words i know but it meant that however i can't think the count struck that awful blow that fractured her skull villain he may be even a murderous one but that black-jack business to my mind points to a lower type of brain a more thick-skinned criminal stone spoke musingly looking about the room as he talked could it be he went on that she was talking to herself or say to a picture a photograph of somebody i don't see any photographs about both men looked around but there were no portraits to be seen funny said hardy most women have photographs of their family or relatives all over the place not even one of miss stewart or of her nephew loria no nor any of absent friends or schoolmates stone looked over all the silver paraphernalia of the dressing-table and other tables for even a small framed photograph that might have escaped notice but found none on the walls hung only gilt-framed water-colours or photographs of famous bits of art or architecture in darkwood frames many of these were of old-world masterpieces italian cathedrals or egyptian temples others were a well-known madonna a venus of milo and one of which hardy exclaimed she's a sure enough peach who's she that's cleopatra starting on her nile trip said stone smiling at hardy's evident admiration tis eh then loria brought it to her he's daffy over anything egyptian and he's mighty generous the house is full of the stuff he brings or sends over and it's his money mr stone that pays your damages miss stuart now she's none too free-handed they say but fleming stone paid little heed to this gossip he was studying the photographs of the dead lady as being of far more interest than pictures on the boudoir walls where's that maid he said suddenly the one who brought the breakfast tray she's in the sanatorium returned hardy we told you that mr stone yes yes i know but where can i see her now at once yes i suppose so it's right near here a small private affair only a few patients they needn't really have sent her but she carried on so miss stuart wouldn't have her about any longer come let us go there as he spoke fleming stone left the room and without waiting for the hurrying hardy ran downstairs and was in the hall getting into his greatcoat when the other joined him so great was hardy's faith in his superior and so anxious was he to watch his methods that he donned his own overcoat without a word and the two set forth it was only a short walk and on the way stone looked about in every direction asking innumerable questions about the neighbouring houses and their occupants after passing several large and handsome estates they came to a district of less elaborate homes and after that to a section of decidedly poorer residences at one of these stone stared hard but not till they were well past it did he inquire who lived there dunno replied hardy 
it's a sort of boarding-house i think for the lower classes is it said stone and they went on at the sanatorium they found estelle she was not hysterical now but was in a sort of apathetic mood and listless of manner stone spoke to her with polite address and a manner distinctly reassuring it will be much better for you estelle he said pleasantly if you will speak the truth better for you and better for you know whom his significant tone roused her i don't know what you mean she exclaimed oh yes you do somebody whose name begins with h or b or s i don't know any one beginning with s and estelle frowned defiantly but someone with stone leaned forward and in the tense pause that followed estelle's lips half formed a silent b yes went on stone as if he had not paused if you will tell the whole truth it will be better for bates in the long run estelle began to tremble what do you know she cried out and showed signs of hysteria i know a great deal said stone gravely and unless assisted by what you know my knowledge will bring trouble to your friend what do you want me to tell you and estelle now on her guard spoke slowly and clearly but her fingers were nervously twining themselves in and out of her crumpled handkerchief only your own individual part in the proceedings the rest we will learn from bates himself how do you know it was bates we have learned much since you left garden steps and now stone spoke a little more sternly hardy looked at him in wonder who was this bates clearly implicated in the murder and known to estelle you see mr haviland saw you go down to open a window for him to come in stone went on as casually as if he were retailing innocent gossip did you go down again and close it i haven't said i opened it yet and estelle flashed an irate glance at her questioner no but you will do so when you realize how necessary it is i tell you truly when i say that only your honesty now can save your friend bates from the electric chair estelle shuddered and began to cry violently that only makes matters worse said stone patiently listen to me this is your only chance to save bates life if i go to the police with what i know they will convict him of the murder beyond all doubt if you tell me what i ask i think i hope between us we can prove that he did not do it but didn't he and estelle looked up with hope dawning in her eyes i think not now there's no time to waste tell me what i ask or you will lose your chance to do so you opened the living-room window for bates to come in at about three o'clock yes admitted the girl and went down and closed and fastened it at five o'clock came in the lowest tones not knowing that miss carrington was dead oh no for bates went there only to steal the jewels yes and so when you took the breakfast tray and found the lady as you did find her you were frightened out of your wits and dropped the tray yes and so to shield bates who you thought had killed her you lied right and left even trying to incriminate miss stewart yes sir have you seen bates since no sir and until now you have thought he killed your mistress i didn't know another thing estelle you put bromide in the glass of milk in order that miss carrington might sleep soundly and not hear bates come in she didn't drink that milk 
but you fixed it thinking she would yes that's all come on hardy and somewhat unceremoniously stone took leave and made for the nearest telephone station after that matters whizzed stone had called the police headquarters and asked that an officer be sent with a warrant for the arrest of bates how do you know where he is asked hardy nearly bursting with curiosity i'm not sure but at least i know where to start looking for him stone replied as the two went back the way they had come stone stopped at the boarding-house he had noticed on the way to the sanatorium and rang the bell sure enough bates lived there and bates was at home at stone's first questions he broke down and confessed to the assault with the blackjack but i didn't kill her he cried she was already dead oh my god can i ever forget those terrible staring eyes the saints forgive me i was half crazy there she was dead and yet smiling and happy-looking oh sir what does it all mean End of chapters 11 and 12